0: Hello, and welcome to Career Move Secrets, a brand new podcast for active job seekers and the career minded. In each episode, I'll interview a special guest from my global network. Guests will include seasoned recruiters, experienced hiring managers from companies big and small, and successful individuals who have developed great careers through making great career moves. My aim is to uncover and share my guests' unique perspectives, their insights, and their insider advice on job searching, interviewing, and career enhancement. My name is Tony Talbot, and I've been working in the recruitment industry as an international headhunter for over 20 years. I'm the creator of CareermoveSecrets.com, a step-by-step online course for job seekers that I designed to be the ultimate guide to getting hired in the hidden job market. I will add my perspective to the conversation, and together with my guests, we hope to provide some genuine, actionable, insider advice that will help you execute your next career move. Thanks for joining us today. <music> Hello and welcome to episode 39 of Career Move Secrets. Today's guest is Scott Jeffrey Miller. Scott has always packed quite a lot into a 25-year career. He's the author of an award-winning multi-volume Mess to Success series, which includes Job Mess to Career Success. He served as the Chief Marketing Officer and the Executive Vice President of Franklin Covey, which is of the Seven Habits of Successful People fame. And he's the host of On Leadership with Scott Miller, the world's largest leadership podcast. Hi, Scott. How are you?
1: I'm great, Tony. Thank you for the invitation today.
0: You're very welcome. Good to have you on. And you have got you have packed, in fact, I, I probably haven't covered half of it. There's a lot going on in your life.
1: There is, mainly focused around my wife's and our three sons that are six, nine, and 10. So everything revolves around them, including my career.
0: Yes. Lots of sports activities, I would imagine.
1: Yeah, we live in um, Salt Lake City, Utah. So a lot of mm-hmm. snow skiing and a lot of tennis. We tend to uh, put a lot of energy into those two sports and a lot of reading. And so we try to keep our boys well-balanced and help them um, uncover, discover, invent their purposes and passions.
0: I'm not surprised there's some some heavy reading in there because you're obviously a an author and work for a publisher. In fact, Scott, give it give me your your potted history because I obviously have done my research, but of course, my audience
1: will not sure. Learn. so i'm fifty three. I live in Salt Lake City, Utah. I'm originally from Orlando, Florida, where I lived the first half of my life, worked for the Disney Company, the Walt Disney Company, for four years out of college, and then they invited me to leave, which is a nice way of saying they fired me. And uh, <laughs> here I was, a twenty six year old Catholic boy from Orlando, Florida. So where does a 26-year-old Catholic single guy move? Well, of course, to Provo, Utah, where all the Catholics are. I'm kidding. Mm. There wasn't a single Catholic in Utah. It's all the Mormons, right? So I moved out here and joined Dr. Stephen R. Covey's company, as you mentioned, of the um, the fame from the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. I worked for his firm for 25 years. I did a stint in the UK. Frontline sales, sales leadership, became an executive vice president in Chicago for six years with the company, became the company's first and only chief marketing officer for eight years, Then became the executive vice president of business development and of thought leadership. In that capacity, I became the author of um, two books that have released and three books that are actually releasing in 2021. I have three books coming out this year from a variety of publishers. As you mentioned, I've, I host what is now the world's largest weekly leadership podcast. And uh, along the way, I've made lots of successes, lots of messes. I've learned lots of lessons. And now I am an advisor to the company. And I launched my own career coaching consultancy called Ignite Your Genius, where uh, I have an online module program where I help people take their careers from being accidental to more intentional, more deliberate. It's what I'm passionate about. I hope to spend the rest of my professional career you know, helping people become much more deliberate about how they design their careers and not leaving them up to accident or to somebody else's desire and I love this quote Tony and I think it's sad but true as it relates to your career you're never in the room when someone else is deciding your career for you it's often true in organizations and I wanted to kind of stomp that out I want people to not have their careers be up to direction by somebody else right as have a plan, or be part of someone else's. So that's kind of where I'm focusing my time now.
0: That's very interesting, and you know, I, I I interview a lot of people, obviously as a headhunter, but but also on this program, and it's amazing how virtually everybody's career that I've come across so far, it is a mixture of uh, mistakes, some intentional stuff, but it, it 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 really has evolved. It's become it's fairly fairly organic. You know, there's no I still have yet to meet meet the person who planned their career. From the start to the finish, are you that person, Scott? Incredible. You know, are you?
1: I, I probably am, wow. and I'm a little bit maniacal, and I'm very strategic, and I certainly understand and have benefited from serendipity, right? Not I mean. Mm. My I have no idea what I'm having for lunch today. I have no idea where I'm going to live a year from now. So it isn't like I'm you know that maniacal. But I, I one of the tenets I teach in my course is to think out multi decades. Is to really be clear on where are you headed. Like like. What does the end look like? Do you want to be a CEO, a COO? Do you want to be um, an entrepreneur, a solopreneur? And then how are you going to get there, kind of back end? Well, so if you want to be a CEO when you're 50 and you're 30, what are the four or five different jobs you probably need to conquer? What are the skill sets, the talents? What kind of self-awareness do you need? What is the trajectory? Because most people make it to the C-suite. Most people make it to entrepreneurship through a fairly similar path, meaning like, you know, I know nobody that just launched into the C-suite. Doesn't happen, right? You tend to build Mm -hmm. your career. Do you have operational experience, international, supply chain, management, people, leadership skills? So I'm, I'm quite obsessed with helping people figure out where they want their careers to go, what is kind of the pinnacle of achievement based on their own values, not on my values, And then what are the skill sets and lessons that they need to learn to make that happen? Recognizing that there's going to be some level of serendipity that sometimes you just give into and you move to Australia for a year because that's what was presented to you and that makes a lot of sense. The problem is I think too many people, almost all people, leave their careers to chance and their careers are decided by just whatever job opening comes up in the company, whatever job is posted on the web. And they find themselves bouncing around and they never create traction. And they wonder at the end of their careers, why am I where I am? Because you were accidental. You can be deliberate and still make place for serendipity.
0: Yeah, I it's a very interesting point because as a headhunter, I'm regularly, my job is to present people with jobs that they don't have any interest in and, and develop their interest. And, and, and I have to take them from a place where they're actually generally high achievers doing very, very well where they are. And I have to persuade them that there is a better opportunity elsewhere. And of course, timing's not always perfect. Direction's not always perfect. They obviously have the choice. It's their choice whether they take that or not, that route. But you're right, I think it's accidental in many cases. I I, I think I hope people are thinking, is this the right opportunity to take me to the where I want to be eventually? But I'm not convinced that that many people are are, are, are making that that sort of yeah, deliberate decision around the, their long career or their, their full career.
1: I think you're absolutely right. And I think it's a key contributor to the greatest careers that are out there. If you look at the people that have been very fulfilled, that have mm. achieved what they wanted to professionally in terms of their impact, their legacy, their brand, their income, is mm. their, their, they have some commonalities. One is they think further out than just their next job. They're thinking one and two and three and four, maybe even five careers out. You know, the average tenure now, at least for someone in America, is about 18 months in a career. 18 months is the average. On the outset, it's three years. People are voraciously moving around. Usually in high tech is when they're more deliberate. I've experienced, but not always. I think it all, all boils down to one commonality. The most deliberate career professionals are those that have identified their professional values. Mm. Now, that may not seem like an epiphany, but you notice I use the word professional values because, Tony, I think for you and your listeners, you may have identified your personal values, those things that govern your personal life. Might be you know, your purpose in life. Your Like mine, for example, are Phil Pal, P-H-I-L-P-A-L. Purpose, health, integrity, loyalty, positivity, abundance, and learning. I am I am deliberately in alignment with my seven personal values. The acronym is PhilPAL. Those are my personal values. Those are not my professional values. And I think they're fundamentally different. Mm. I think if someone wants to take control of their career, they need to also identify your professional values. And just like your personal values, they should not be based on what anybody else thinks about them. They're only Based on what matters to you. My number one professional value is maximizing my income. Mm -hmm. That is my top professional value. I'm not ashamed of it. I'm quite proud to admit it. Now, my second professional value is working with and for a brand that I'm proud of. So, Mm -hmm. my number one value isn't so important that I'll go work for the mafia or I'll go sell methamphetamines or I'll go work for a hedge fund, right? which hedge funds are not to be equated with the mafia or maybe stuff, so, but not met them. But you get the point. My third value is I want to work in an environment where I'm respected and where um, I feel honored. And so I have ranked those values. I am very deliberate about maximize my income. That is not everybody's professional value. If someone wants to move their career to become more deliberate, they must take the time to identify their personal and professional values because there's going to become a time in your career when they are at odds with each other when they're in conflict and you won't know if they're in conflict if you haven't identified both of them i think it's a it's a fundamental congruency in people who have phenomenal careers they've identified them and they may change over time but they're very clear they're very clear on their career values
0: and is has that, that sort of view come out of cuz you've obviously interviewed a lot of people on on various shows yes. and and you you have interviewed to your credit, some very very uh, impressive people. Yeah. Is that is that what you're you're finding from them? Because I know a lot of them have been authors, and they they're actually quite I think in tune and understand their own situation. I think they're all they've all looked at it in detail, which maybe not everybody has. Is that something that you're getting out of that that they are uh, having these deliberate values that they are they're, they're adhering to throughout their career?
1: Yeah, with with many of them, it's a concept that I've kind of uncovered as I have obviously had a great career, not without missteps, obviously, and I'm coaching a lot of people and as a leadership author, but I have recognized some similarities in them, and I also have learned the value from David Epstein. He wrote a book called Range. I think it's a phenomenal career book. And David, this this is kind of a concept, Tony, that I should have been more aware of, but he he popularized understanding whether or not you are a specialist or a generalist. Can I, I can I share this?
0: I find that interesting. I've got to say. Yeah. yeah and
1: me. again, it's kind of a rudimentary, you know, concept, but some of the most, some of our biggest epiphanies come from, you know, the lessons we know of, but don't implement in our lives. And David Epstein wrote this book called range where he kind of debunks the whole Malcolm Gladwell, Jeff Colvin idea of an expert, Comes an expert in 10,000 hours, right? And he doesn't set out to debunk it, but it kind of comes around to challenge it. And he says, There's two types of careers. You are either a specialist or you are a generalist. When I heard this, I literally had this epiphany because I'm one of two children. I'm an older brother who is the favorite child. We're very good friends. He is a chemical engineer, master black belt Six Sigma, went to MIT, MBA, all left brain. I'm sort of the creative right brain speaker, writer. And I was always very, very intimidated, jealous of my brother and his security, his path. He was very clear, I'm a specialist. I'm going to be a chemical engineer. He went to work for Tropicana, Kodak Eastman, Amazon, you know, Chevron, a lot of security, kind of had that badge, right? He was the equivalent of a commercial airline pilot, anesthesiologist, accountant, chemical engineer. Those are all specialists. They usually are quite confident. And what they want to do coming out of college quite clear, and they follow very linear paths. I don't know many chemical engineers that become patent attorneys. I don't know many accountants that become realtors. Maybe some do. But then there are the generalists. And I'll tell you, Tony, it was in my late 30s that I began to become comfortable with being a generalist. Because what I realized is all of my expertise, sales, project management, supply chain, reading a PL, writing, speaking, editing, interviewing, writing copy, marketing, advertising, public relations, all that kind of came into its own and that's what qualified me to be the chief marketing officer, this broad skill set. And my and my point to your listeners is, by the way, I think you can be a specialist and move To be a
0: a Uh, general—that's what I've seen. Yeah, definitely, and move to
1: be a specialist. Mm. I think it's rare, but it's possible. But my gift is to all of you specialists. Congrats! Congrats on knowing what you wanted to do and crushing it, and 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 becoming the best at what you do. And I and I'm positively jealous of you. And I say to all of the generalists out there, don't be jealous negatively of them. Is recognize that your epiphany may come a little bit later. You may not know what you want to do in your 20s, even your 30s, but you're probably going to come into your own in your th- late 30s, your 40s, or even your 50s. And all of this information, knowledge and skill sets will come to pay off for you maybe a little bit later. But I want to release you from the paranoia, the paralysis, the jealousy, the distraction, the envy of looking at the specialists. It's okay. It's not just okay. It's great to be a generalist. It just may pay off for you and require a little more patience than it did for a specialist. Long answer. Uh, thank you for giving me the platform there.
0: No, I, I find it very interesting because I deal with a lot of people who... You know, perhaps a transition point, and I deal with lots of specialists, so I do lots of recruitment in consulting areas where, like accountants, where they are super specialists. And actually, what I find in general in economies, particularly in the developed economies like the UK, like the US... There is a drive towards specialism. And partly it's the fault of people like me. It's recruiters that do it because what we do is we go out and find not just a 70% match, not an 80% match, but a 90% match for any job that we're given. You know, we really we, we're, were paid to hit the the bullseye. So if somebody wants um, a particular profile, they're going to give us a shopping list. And we try and fulfill most of those bits of of the shopping list. And of course, we end up with these, these very... Uh, we we end up with these very specialist people in a um a shortlist and they all look the same uh, and that's just the nature of it and i think a lot of people find that their careers go like that and they get offered just a better job up the run of the same ladder that they're on rather than going across to another ladder now in other territories like in australia and uh in some of the smaller european countries where there's a there's there's still all these plethora of jobs, but actually less people to choose from. I find that people make more interesting moves. It's just something that I've noticed. So uh, it's interesting that you, you should say that. I, I do think that um, people can have developed all these experiences and use them at some point in their life, particularly if they go down the entrepreneurial route. Particularly I,
1: I, I agree. In fact, I think entrepreneurs and people who really become leaders of people, they're often generalists. Yes. And they're leading specialists, right? They, they don't have that technical expertise that everybody has. Like, look at a chief marketing officer, right? I didn't know Google Analytics. I didn't know SEO. I wasn't deep into understanding customer journeys or paths. I didn't know marketing automation. I didn't know the integration between uh, Adobe and you know Salesforce and all that. I hired experts, specialists that knew those things. And my job was to create overall strategy, create a culture, And understand where the overall business was going. I think most people leaders, unless you're leading an intact work team of AI experts, you generally have non-specialist leading specialists that requires you to be a a generalist if you're going to be a great leader. Not always, but in many cases, I think of the C-suite. I mean, unless you're like the CFO, most CEOs that I know chief revenue officers, even operations officers, they're generalists.
0: Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. And I think it's an interesting thing for, you know, people that go through the route with the big companies where, you know, typically um, there is a, a a career path and you know there's lots of competition to get there um, i find a real interesting difference between those guys and the guys that have worked with the smaller companies where they have had to be a generalist they've had to do everything and they've had to learn different bits they're doing it on a completely different scale but i often you know whenever i i put a shortlist together and i've got a person from a small company versus somebody from a very large one there's different ways that they think and there's different talents and capabilities they bring some people want that as your brother had you know the uh the the big brand they value the brand uh that's on somebody's cv where other other of my clients look at the the person and what they've created rather than how they piggyback off, off the brand so so it, horses for courses but there's certainly that there's definitely comes a time in people's career where they have to make a choice i think if they want to go to the c-suite as, we, as we're talking about, they have to step out of the line, out of the specialism and into the, the visionary role. And that is tricky to do. Is that part of what you're trying to help people do in your no course question. and in your work?
1: You, you just described what I think is one of the key tenets yeah. of great careers is this art of self-disruption, mm. is you know exercising the courage and the confidence to disrupt yourself, whether it be in your industry and in the The brand you're working with, where you're going from small to large or large to small or what kind of culture, being able to be nimble and agile enough to disrupt yourself. You know, there's a woman in America named Whitney Johnson. She wrote several famous books, including one called Disrupt Yourself. And in her research, Tony, she shows that about at at year three in anybody's career, we tend to become a little bit unconsciously complacent And where the, she calls it the S curve of learning, the trajectory of the excitement and the challenge. After the third year, you've kind of learned your role pretty well and you've settled into it. Mm. And in many cases, unconsciously, we begin to slack off a little bit. And that's when our brands begin to tarnish. We don't notice it, but others start to see it. It's easier to do our job. We're not as challenged and we get a bit restless. And it's a heads up to people, right? Is to make sure that you disrupt yourself before that happens to you. And I I can never imagine someone saying to me, I was going to slack off, right? I mean, I'm a very hard worker, very productive, but I'll bet it's happened with me too. So I think being self-aware and really recognizing when are you at your best? When should you disrupt yourself? When should you change industries perhaps, or perhaps companies or brands Mm. and be thinking about it in a multi-decade way? Is this the right decision? Is this going to serve me well? three jobs from now, 10 years from now. I looked very deliberately at my career. I wanted to be a CEO. And so back in my twenties, I set out and I named the nine careers I would need to have to get there and all the talents and all the competencies. And I checked them off like every 18 months, every three years. And I drove my career. No one else drove it for me.
0: That's that is really interesting. You are the you're the anomaly that I've now met, which is which is really interesting. I speak to a lot of people now. There is a, there is sometimes a difference between us Brits with our and you've lived here, so you know that this sort of repressive nature that we have. We don't we don't shout about our own successes. So and at most not not all of the people I meet because I I do recruit in the states as well and in other parts of the world, but certainly um you know the majority of people that I deal with have been Brits, and as a consequence, I find that many of them they're vague about what they want. To, even the ones that I have career discussions with, which I do, around what they want to do next. It's rare, actually, that they would, they would tell me what's the end game. They 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 will tell me the stepping stone they want to make next, and they're not always, by and large, particularly descriptive about that. In fact, they're too vague, and they'll say, I would consider so many different options. And For me, as a headhunter or somebody trying to help them, you know if you're vague I, I need a target hit I you know I can't hit something if you don't know what the target is I certainly don't uh, I find that difficult so that's interesting that you you have had the target from day one
1: I, I have and, I, and again my advice isn't for everyone I use this word several times Some people love the idea of serendipity right and by the way my, my life like I said has been somewhat serendipitous at times also. I once was recruited to go to Australia it didn't work out and therefore i stayed in chicago and met my wife and had three kids had i gone to australia i might still be single and not be living in salt lake with three young boys right so i mean mm-hmm. great joy has come out of that serendipity but again my my overarching advice to people when you're planning your career don't just open up the career website and look at you know six figure jobs 20 miles from me. That that is just idiotic. I cannot believe that someone would plan their career. What jobs are in sales that are 50 miles from me? And it just that's complete an accidental career. For some people, that might be the best route. If you are looking to build your skills, build your wealth, build your brand, build your network, and take control of your professional career and not be the pinball in somebody else's pinball game. Then you should be thinking about what do I want to be 10 years from now? What do I want to be 20 years from now? And the likelihood, all the psychology, all of the research shows that the people that write their goals down and they verbalize their goals and they execute against them are going to have an exponentially higher likelihood of achieving them. When I was 23 years old, I took out a placemat in a restaurant, TGI Fridays, right? I took out the placemat app, turned it over, and I wrote out a 40-year timeline, 23 to 63. And I said, when I'm 63, I want to be in Congress, right? Kind of like the, the parliament for us, right? And I said, so to be, to be in Congress, I need to be a CEO for 10 years to build some wealth and have some notoriety. And then I'm going to need to be a COO or the C-suite, EVP, SVP, ASVP, vice president, general manager. I need to have international experience. You get all that. And I, and I plotted it all back. And then I took my age. And I took it from you know 63 to 53 to 48 to 45 to 50 all down the line, and I put my year I was going to accomplish that, and then I put a salary to it, and I backed my salary. So I had my the year I wanted to accomplish it, the age I was going to be, what the role was. I put a salary next to each one of those, and I listed out what are the five or six talents I'm going to take out of this job, that will pivot me into the next one, and I got to tell you. I had nine things listed. I did all nine of them. I became the CMO, not the CEO, which I was fine with, actually, just fine with. I don't think I'll run for Congress. I think I'm going to be an entrepreneur Just because of where that's gone in life, who wants to be, you know, in public service these days. It's tough. Ask anybody. But I think that that it meandered a little bit, but it's because I had that vision written down on that TGI, paper placemap that I kept for 30 years. I'm now 52. I developed when I was 23. There's a direct correlation with me having a vision and knowing not just what the next job was, but what the next two ones were going to be after that that allowed me to go pursue them and conquer them, along with a lot of help from a lot of people along the way.
0: I definitely think having a goal in mind and thinking a couple of roles in advance Ideally, more. But if you can think a couple of roles in advance, that's certainly going to build in those experiences, build in those needs, build in those wants that takes you to where you want to go. That's that's the, the that's the theory of it. So I definitely can see how that works. Um, and is that the subject of your of your books? Tell me about a, a couple of your books and yeah. how they've fitted into that.
1: Yeah. So I've written. Uh, my my books are, originally based on leadership right? And the first book I wrote is this book called Management Mess to Leadership Success. You referenced it early on. done extremely well because I wrote it about kind of the underbelly of leadership, right? As a leadership expert in a leadership company, all of the mistakes that I'd made, the things that I'd said and done wrong, and the lessons that I could teach others from all of my mistakes as an officer in a public company. That book did so well that my next book is called Management, sorry, Marketing Mess to Brand Success. And this follows in that mess to success theme. This book is all of my experiences as a chief marketing officer. And what are some mistakes that I made that everybody can learn from? And the next year, job mess to career success comes out. And so there's this whole brand around mess to success. I have um, communication mess, sales mess, parenting mess, relationship mess. So There will be a whole nine to 10 books in the mess to success series. And then, Tony, like you, you mentioned I host a podcast. And uh, it, it pushes out to close to 7 million each week. And I'm launching a new book all based on the podcast called Master Mentors. The first volume comes out in September. And each year I select 30 people that we had as on guests. And I write a different transformational insight. One insight from 30 different people, 30 chapters. And so people like Seth Godin and Dan Pink and... Um, Julian Treasure, he's a Brit, right? He's an expert on listening and communication. And um, Matthew McConaughey and uh, all kinds of great um, uh, great people. Some names you may recognize and some you may not. So I've got a lot of books in me. I'm enjoying writing them. And uh, we'll see if that pays off. <laughs> I'll call you I, in a few years. <laughs>
0: I'm sure it will. No, it sounds like you. And you've, you've built up, obviously, through, through your, your work, you've built up a bit of a personal brand. What would you say? Yeah. This is something that I'm interested in. I believe everyone, I, I don't know if you would share this view. Uh, this is very much a recruiter's view, but I argue that everybody on LinkedIn has the starting point of a personal brand. You're you're self-publishing, yeah? And therefore you're findable. And, and because you're self-publishing, you can say what you want about yourself. Some people are terrible at it and other people are great at it, but that you have a cornerstone there to build upon. Um, and I think... It can bring value to your career, and indeed, for people like me who are looking at your your background and all the things that you've done in your career and making a value judgment, it's important that you have some control over that personal brand. Um, what would you say about that how how sort of how sort of deep do you go around the personal brand?
1: Well, you're absolutely right. I mean, this idea of your personal brand is not a new idea, but I don't think it's any less relevant. I offer two insights. There's no question everybody has a brand and you either leave your brand up to accident or you leave your brand up for others to create for you or you create your own brand deliberately, Mm. intentionally through your own actions, your decisions. I mean, your reputation is merely the collection of all the decisions you've made in life. And here's, I think, one of the best ways to discern what your brand is. If your listeners are at all like me, We spend a lot of time studying other people. Like I study Seth Godin and Dan Pink and Rachel Hollis, and I know all their books and their careers and their successes. But I don't think we spend a lot of time studying ourselves. And I think brand creation starts with taking some contemplative time and studying yourself. What is your reputation? And go ask people. In my career coaching series, "A Night Your Genius." I have a whole module around studying yourself, identifying people in your personal professional lives and asking them, what do I do that annoys you? What do I do that delights you? And really getting a really good sense to better study yourself. What's it like to work with you, for you, be married to you, date you, eat dinner with you, go on vacation with you, launch a product with you. And once you've done the hard work on studying yourself through self-awareness, Then you can more deliberately, intentionally design your brand. You may want to be the most well-read person you know. You may want to be the most well-traveled. You may want to be the guy or the gal that writes handwritten thank you notes, or the person that's always positive, or the person that's very quiet and analytical, and when you do speak, it's profound. Your brand might be that you offer apologies. Now, I'm being a bit trite, but you get the point. You got a chance to create a brand for yourself, especially online. My brand online is not political, it's not negative, it's not critical. My brand is very positive, it's very uplifting, it's very self-aware. I make fun of myself, I try to add value. I highlight other people. It's all very intentional and it's authentic. I do not talk about Trump. I'm talking about coronavirus. I don't lambast, you know, any race or religion. I try to be as authentic about who I am and I use it to build my brand. To add value to other people's lives. And to your point, LinkedIn or Instagram or Facebook, wherever you are, for most of us, that is our billboard. Yeah. That is our television program or our podcast. And you should govern yourself very deliberately.
0: It's very interesting. You should say that. So I'm reading today. I'm on I'm, I'm on LinkedIn a lot. Every every recruiter is 95% of us recruiters live on LinkedIn yep. and we look at stuff and of course you can see stuff and I, I'm I'm looking at uh, some of our politicians have started um, to post on LinkedIn and of course that's incredibly divisive because what you get people is commenting pro or or, or against that particular party and one thing I would say just to everybody listening uh, who, who is you know acting out on social media do not sully your brand by getting involved in making political points on LinkedIn. Oh Think about gosh. yeah, I just I just find it crazy. but people do it. and you know, recruiters these days, both internal and external, they're looking at that that that's gold dust to people to make decisions on you. You don't want them to make negative decisions about your negativity. So I, I, it's a really great point you make and uh, you, well,
1: you 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 from your mouth to your viewers' ears because, It is your billboard. Now I'll tell you, I tend to post a lot of personal things on LinkedIn That's because I want my connections and followers to realize and to know I'm like you, I have a life, I have a marriage, I have bills, I have kids, I've got challenges. I don't, I don't, you know, confess my sins or get in any fights or post anything political. Lord knows, you know, sometimes you're tempted to, but I do post things that are personal on LinkedIn because I also want people to know that I have one life. My life is not, is not my work life and my personal life. One life, there's a lot going on in it and I'm proud of that. But to your point, I make sure that what I put on LinkedIn represents my brand authentically, but also judiciously. Hmm.
0: Yeah. I think it's a really, really important thing to do because, you know, people are looking at every element of, of you, but the more senior you go, the more likely they are to do some of this background checking on you. So
1: because how you behave online is how you will behave in their company and in the C-suite or in the users, it, it, wherever you are, right? It's
0: entirely indicative of, what you're, is, <laughs> of so. your, what you're about, particularly at those weakest moments. So for God help you, yeah, just don't do that. Um, yeah. If people want to learn more about you, sure. where, would, where, would, where would you direct them?
1: Sure. You can visit my website, scottjefferymiller.com. All my books are on there, all the archived. I write a column for Inc. Magazine every week. They're on there, all the podcast interviews. You can connect to my career series, Night Your Genius. So scottjeffreymiller.com. You also can visit me at, at LinkedIn or like any social platform. Just you know, Google me and um, to my wife's horror, I'm bound to show up.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Scott, thank you very much for coming on, on the show and for being such a great
1: guest. Tony, thank you for the platform.
0: Well, I hope you found that conversation with Scott as interesting as I did. Um, I have now met the person who planned out and executed their entire career. Um, I didn't think that person existed, but Scott has proven me wrong. I wonder if your career is as planned as Scott's. If you are planning a move upcoming and you want some help with that, please do go to my site, careermovesecrets.com, and check out some of the resources there, particularly uh, the ATS Beating CV Masterclass, which I think will be very helpful indeed. And if you're finding these podcasts helpful, please subscribe. Please leave um, a comment and and perhaps rate the podcast as well. That would be really helpful. And, of course, there will be more Career Move Secrets podcasts coming very soon.